straight efficiency with Nackfee's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 83, we're joined by Marie Brome. She's a manager of account management and sales at the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, where she talks about the inner workings of SMUD, its goals to be carbon free by 2030, and her view of fleet electrification. She also shares lessons learned from the PepsiCo Depot in Sacramento, including the importance of partnerships and collaboration in the electrification process. Today we have joining us Marie Brome, Manager of Account Management and Sales at the Sacramento Municipal Utility District. I'm excited to have you on today, and um, um, particularly this might be our first utility guest. Uh, so uh, for what that's worth, um, uh, welcome, Marie. Well, thank you. I feel real special to join you then. Yeah, so um, like I said, after almost over 80 podcasts, this, we're going we're gonna to explore some um some new territory for for me, uh, you know, as we think about how um, electric trucks are being supported by utilities and kind of what the future is. Um, so today, I think we're going to you're going to you're going to help a lot of us uh, learn some things. Um, you know, we talk about how the trucking industry is expanding frequently, you know, expanding a lot as we move into this new world. And uh, the relationship between fleets and utilities is going to be a, a, a big part of it. Um, so before we get there, though, we titled this podcast Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends for a number of reasons, and it, it continues to work. And I've always asked how we became friends. Do you remember uh, when how we met and became friends? I, I think it's pretty I, straightforward. Yeah, I do. And I actually um, have been following um, NACFI for quite a while. And so I was kind of aware of you, but it was through the Pepsi fleet implementation and when you were out there videoing. Yeah, and so that was in uh, June of this year, and uh, yeah, it was the the Pepsi beverages. We were there with um, twenty one Tesla semis and truck drivers, and it was a really, uh, really, uh, really good day. And I know we'd be we were going to hit it off quickly. I mean, you you uh, you were fun to interview. You had such a passion for for what was going on there, and um, uh, yeah, we hit it off right away. I agree. I agree. We're both pretty passionate about our jobs and it's pretty nice to be doing such meaningful work. Yeah. So let's jump right in. Tell us about um, SMUD. Everybody calls it SMUD. Um, yep. I giggle when I, I giggle a little when I say SMUD, <laughs> but uh, 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 tell us about the utility and uh, what make, you know, kind of compare and contrast it to other utilities across the country or in California. Just give us some inner workings of, of SMUD. Okay. So yeah, you're not the only one who giggles. The first time when I came here and I did a power thing for some third graders and I was introduced uh, as someone from SMUD, the whole class broke up and I basically lost them. So anyhow, um, so um, there we're, we're a municipal utility. That's where the mud comes from. Um, this community voted um many years ago to be um, served by a municipal um, entity. And we bought the assets of PG&E and um, that's how we came to be. We're, like I mentioned, we're community owned and we're not for profit. Um, so it's a little bit different than your investor owned utilities. Um, we don't have investors. We answer to a board. We're not governed by the PUC, the Public Utility Commission. We're governed by a board. Um, which is elected by our community. So we're very, very rooted in community. Um, we're highly regulated like every other 
um, utility in the nation, and especially in California, <clears throat> we're the sixth largest community-owned utility in the nation. So we're pretty sizable. Um, other municipal utilities might be um, like in our area, city of Roseville. Cities often are municipal utilities. We're not a city. We're, um, we're our own utility district. Um, we have uh, we serve the population, which is about one and a half million folks, um, 900 square miles. We have um, our energy mix. We're, we're an extremely progressive um, utility, um, and I'll speak to that in a bit. Um, our energy mix is uh, both, um, we're, we're striving for zero carbon. Right now, our energy mix is about 49% carbon free. 24% uh, of that is renewables, um, solar, wind, hydro, biomass, geothermal. 25% is large hydro. So um, we really are fortunate here. We can harvest winds and we have some really great water in the upper American River. Um, and we have quite a few. Um, we have 11 reservoirs up there and nine powerhouses. California is pretty ahead of the curve on a lot of carbon reduction. Um, and in California, utilities have to, by 2045, have 100% um, carbon-free, you know, no um, greenhouse gases coming from their energy um, uh, resources. Um, and our board... At one point, we were going to do it in 2040, but our board several years ago decided that, no, we're going to actually be carbon-free by 2030. It is a super, super aggressive um, goal. Wow. We're not buying offsets. We're actually going to be using all carbon-free um, energy. And with that, it's not just that. There's other prongs to it. We have to maintain reliability. We need to maintain affordability. And we have to ensure that everybody in our community benefits from this. So it, um, if, if some aren't winners, no one is a winner. So it's pretty broad. And so part of that is also reaching out to our underserved communities or our most impacted communities. Um, and the other part of it is we are doubling down on electrification, both building electrification and fleet electrification. So, um, We've got a lot of work to do in the next seven years. And, um, you know, we know where we're going to get to, how we're going to get to about probably 95%. That last 5% is still trying to figure out because the technology may not be there, but it's going to be a lot of different ways that we'll get there. But I'm confident we will. How do you measure what's generated, the electricity generated versus what's consumed within a geographic, so within the district? So we generate, but we also, like other utilities, we have purchase power agreements to bring power into our area. I think that's what you're getting at. So um, we will enter in, well, every utility has to plan for the capacity. You know, we, we, we know what our peak demands are, and this is really kind of where fleet comes in. Um, it's basically... The, the peak demand that every meter measured in a 12-month period is what we look at. And then we have to reserve, we have to have that capacity reserved and then some. So I'm, I'm not in the, um, our power gen or I'm not responsible for that gladly. 
but there's a percentage over um, what our peak demand is. And so we have to provide that. And we do generate some of that, but we also bring in, we bring in wind and solar from, you know, our local area it comes into the WEC, which is a Western energy. There's WEC, there's a whole bunch, but it's basically, we get a lot from the West coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And so when, um, why does a, why does municipal owned become a, um, a strategy for an area or why would somebody become municipal owned? Um, it's your community. The community demands it and they would do it because maybe they want more control over their municipal utility. We have some of the lowest rates in California. Um, we don't answer to investors. We only answer to our community. So, you know, you have um, in California, you have um, community choice aggregators. So you have in PG&E territory and investor owned territory because you don't have the community control over you, your utility. You have these um, community choice where you can buy you can separate out the poles and wires from the actual energy source. Here, it's all together. And um, I I think the beauty of it is we're more tied to our community. We certainly Uh are more agile. Um, You know, uh, investor-owned utility has like a two-year planning cycle. Um, We can come up with pilots that serve um, our community and our businesses, um, you know, much quicker because we basically have to follow our rules and tariffs and um, answer to our board. Yeah. So before we get any further on, you know, kind of electric trucks and where, you know, we're headed with, you know, people call it electrifying everything. It, th- it seems, um, tell us about your career. I mean, how, how did you get here? You're, you're really passionate about this. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you joined me at, uh, in Dallas at the women in trucking for a panel, um, you know, and that was really cool. But um, how did you get here and, and what makes you tick Marie? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, hop, skip and a jump. I've had a lot of different careers. Um, I started in finance and retail banking. Um, and at a point in my life, I was at a crossroads where I was going to um, finish off my degree, or I had the opportunity to go into a systems engineering um, program through Bank of America. It was a paid program. And at that time, I had a lot of responsibilities at home. So I took the paid training. And so I started doing um, systems engineering. Um, I was a programmer and I was creating applications for the finance world. Then I moved into um, being like a CIO and managing um, uh, IT departments and developers. And then, you know, at some point I realized that this was all through the private sector. I realized that I really wanted to be um, rooted a little bit more in my community. I wanted to um, be able to tell somebody, well, actually, let me backtrack. At that same time, I was working on a board of a nonprofit and I realized that my work at the nonprofit and they got very little of my time um, really was more meaningful to me. It aligned more with my passions of what I wanted to do, kind of leave the world in a better place than I arrived in it. So at that point, it's like, I need to make a career change. And I, and I did a big career change. I um, was at the top of my career. Um, I quit my job and I went back to school. And um, I 
got my degree in environmental studies with a concentration in energy management with the thought that I wanted to work with energy in our built environment. And that's wow. what I did. I did some internships <laughs> and then I finally got this job here um, in Sacramento. I moved to Sacramento from the Bay Area. And um, it's it's been great because I get to serve. I live here. I get to serve my community here. I get to see the interconnectedness of what I do. So it's really great. And the whole fleet aspect is something new. Wow. What a great story. Um, congratulations on, I know when you, when you summarize that kind of in an elevator speech, it makes a lot of tough times look, uh, look uh, maybe easier than it was. I can only appreciate, but yeah. So, so let's get, so l tell us about your view of uh, fleet electrification and particularly trucks. So, I mean, like from, from what you've learned with the, uh, with the Pepsi installation, and then I'm sure SMUD has a pretty big, you know, are developing a, you know, a, a electric truck strategy or a strategy to support these electric trucks. I mean, wh wh where do you see it now and where's it going and sort of how big of a, now, how big of a lift is this? How how big, you know, we hear everything from, you know, this is like a huge thing that cannot be done by the utilities to, hey, it's electricity, we'll figure it out. Um, you know, so where are we now? And then, um, you know, how big is it going to be to electrify, you know, some and then many and then all of these trucks? I think it is a big lift. Um, I also think it can completely be done, but it does take a lot of planning. So for, um, you know, as I mentioned with our 2030 zero carbon plan, some of that also came out of the situation in our area here. We have some of the worst air quality and pollution in the nation. Um, not the worst, but we're up there. And a lot of that is from transportation. And a lot of that is from diesel. And there are, um, you know, communities that really disproportionately pay for that pollution in their health and everything else. So, and that's really, um, for me, when I think about why we're doing this, it's because of that. We all should be looking for ways to operate better that provide a better health outcome and more resiliency to the communities that we serve. Well, we got to power them, right? So, uh, uh, how do how do we get power to these trucks uh, to do to do what to do their job? All of that requires a lot of infrastructure build out, and that's at the utility um, level. And because of our twenty thirty zero carbon plan, we have been looking at our infrastructure, and a lot of that has to do with load flexibility, increasing capacity, increasing the ability to serve more electricity in shorter spots of time and also mm -hmm. in low flexibility, because that's the one thing. If, if you can, you know, choose and uh, ideally what you want in a utility is just this nice, steady, actually preferably a nighttime load maybe where there's not as much demand, but, you know, fleets, they require a lot of power and sometimes they require fast charging, but not always. And so it really is about load flexibility and seeing how best to serve your individual fleets. And it's actually, it's not a silver bullet because fleets, as you know, with um, the run on less depot, 
fleets are very different. There might be a fleet that can simply sit at night for 12 hours and do a slow charge. And their daily run is 100, they average 100 miles. That's an easy solution. But then you have others that have a 45 minute dwell time or less, and they're running 300 miles. So um, it, it needs multiple charging um, providers that provide different rates of charge. It, it requires um, good load management and um, it requires a lot of planning. And I think what's gonna happen is, and I can tell you a little bit about what's happening here. It's not just a utility. Utilities have relationships. We have a whole um, government, local government agency group within our um, team. It's made up of policy people. It's made up of lawyers. And then they partner with the state. They partner with the local city government. And they also work with larger, um, I'm not on any of the boards, so I can't think of them, but these larger regional um, areas that are both um, policy drivers as well as economic development drivers, because really fleet electrification and supporting that is an economic development growth. It is, it adds resiliency. It does not um, detract from the community and um, resiliency of a community. It's only additive. So you have all of these government agencies and consortiums working together to solve this problem. We participate in studies that look at how do we put in fueling stations, you know, those truck stop fueling, fueling stations in the artery, the main transport arteries throughout California. And also how do we, um, how do, and more directly here, we're going out and we're interviewing our um, top fleets in the area to ask them where they are on their path. Yeah. Um, and so really kind of having those early discussions and having a really planned approach um, and also needing to connect with our fleets because as you know, it's a very new relationship. Yeah, and I think what we're already starting to see is is once that relationship, when I think about relationships, I think about first rapport. So how do we get some rapport between, you know, fleets in an area and their utility? And then, you know, then later will come, you know, trust and or maybe understanding and trust and then, you know, really working together. And And there are options within trucking. I mean, we saw that in the run where people operated the diesel trucks one way and when they got the battery electric trucks they they changed their operations a bit to to better you better use the electrification I, mean, I look at diesel trucks and battery electric trucks as tools and some might do a little different job it'll do the job differently and um, so we shouldn't mm -hmm. think that we have to replace the exact same operations a question i've i've had for you you know um you use the words like it's about planning and um, this, that, and the other. I mean, we kind of know what we need to do, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. th this isn't like we're not like inventing anything with this uh, infrastructure, this electric charging infrastructure. Um, you know, we may be trying to figure out uh, battery and distributed energy resources and solar wind and other things, but for the most part, this is not rocket science, right, Marie? I mean, this is this is like. Um, switch gears and transformers and, and uh, you know, new stations or not. I mean, this is like stuff we know how to do over the last 50 years. Am I making it too simple or is that pretty much true? No, it's true. It is totally true. It is, um, it's a new service. 
it's just like when you have a new building going up, how, how do you serve that building? It's a load. That's all it is. But what is complex is that there's not just one way because this load has wheels. It can move. It also has flexibility in how it can operate. It could be at some point in the future, it could be an uh, um, putting energy into the grid. I mean, we're not there yet. So it's, it's not rocket science. No, but there's so many different ways to do it. And I think, you know, when you said it's not just like for like, and it's not, it's not like for like, and if anybody is trying to, um, do implement a fleet electric fleet as a like for like, they are missing a huge opportunity because this is a really fundamental shift and we have an opportunity to rethink about how we do things and um you know if it means like we've always had tractor and trailer married well maybe that's that maybe you need to rethink that and maybe it makes yeah. more sense to unmarry them and and with yeah. that comes some flexibility and other opportunities or other ways to do things let's talk specifically about the um Tesla and the semi or the Tesla semi and the location there um, at at PepsiCo. Um, what what did you learn that you didn't know um, or or you know the proverbial what would you have done differently? But but what tell us about that site and the big decisions you had to make and um, um, you know how did it go and what are you learning for future for future next ones? Um, I think I didn't think that it was going to take so much time and keep in mind that this was an attraction effort that started in, um, oh my gosh, I think 2018, 2019. And then we had the pandemic. So it was pretty challenging there. Um, lots of discussions. And I think, um, what, what really worked is Pepsi really was about partnering and um, collaborative because when, when you have a really kind of difficult thing to solve, the more brains that can come together and work collaboratively and flexible because there are things that come up that you don't anticipate. And this is true of anything. Anytime you're putting a new infrastructure, you think you know, you're going off as built where things are at and you're digging somewhere and you dig into something because it wasn't, it's not where it's supposed to be. And so there might be things that come up. So flexibility is a huge thing. Um, constant communication. Um, and, you know, also there, there were some difficult conversations during that too. You know, they, they were wanting to, you know, manage costs and at one point, you know, we had told them how we were going to serve them. Two years came by, some capacity was taken up, and we realized that we really needed to serve them from uh, I've, the south versus the north. It could have been the east, the west. I'm directionally, I don't remember exactly. But because that would have been a better service option for their fleet, but also for their production facility. And that was a difficult conversation. And if I had not built up the trust with Pepsi and we hadn't had that communication, it would have just landed on their door. But what ended up yeah. happening is we ended up getting a, a loop system that has more redundancy for them. 
So, um, you know, that's something um, that going forward, and especially now, because you have so much capacity coming on quickly with fleet, that the whole capacity and how you serve can get down to a first come first serve. And if people don't put in their um, new service applications, and it's just a conversation, it needs to be revisited. So that's one thing I learned is that, you know, it is, it is dynamic. And planning early and having those discussions, getting your applications in so that you can be part of the capacity planning with the utility is really important. Marie, this has been fantastic. I'm sorry we have to kind of close it out there. Maybe we'll get you back on sometime and we can explore some, some more things, but um, very good talking to you and um, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you, it's great joining you. Freight Efficiency with NACV's Mike Rosen Friends.